We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recapping Thursday night football, talking a little bit about Sunday and maybe Monday of week six. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter, Stealing Signals, at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. And you can find all of his great work over at rotaviz.com. Sean, I've made you listen to me talk about the Mariners for about an hour before we started recording today. We're both kind of in baseball mode right at this moment, but we're going to talk football for this podcast as we normally do. Thursday night football. So that was a fun discussion. Let's move on. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, we we did have some fun chatting baseball. Ben is going to be at the Seattle Mariners playoff game last night you said the first time they're playing a home playoff game there in 20 years 2001 was the last home playoff game in seattle so that'll be a fun atmosphere for sure that that just sounds incredible i'm really excited for you i actually watched the first half of thursday night football last night took a break watched the mariners cut up on youtube sadly they did not come through uh, watched the second half of Thursday Night Football this morning, Ben. It was that exciting of a game. I was able to wait until Friday morning to finish watching it. <laughs> we we do have a, a few notes here. This is a game where Carson Wentz throws for fewer than 100 yards. He averages 4.5 yards per attempt. Not the kind of game that is going to fix the issues that he has been having. Now, this is a good Chicago pass defense. It was a situation where Sam Howell was, again, inactive. Probably didn't want that element of it to be distracting on a short week it seems much more likely that he could be in play going forward the other big storyline for the commanders brian robinson that's a really good feel good story he is back he leads the backfield only averages three and a half yards per attempt but did have some nice runs gets the touchdown late sort of unfortunate for antonio gibson who looked more explosive gets 35 yards on his five carries but is I mean, he's just going to fall out of the rotation here. Now, he does get the four targets. J.D. McKissick also uh, just a non-factor in this game. I don't think he's going to fall out. I, I I mean, I've been saying, even I think dating back to the preseason, so I'm definitely sort of confirmation biased here, but that the way that they used Gibson in the preseason, the ways that they were doing some things with him in routes and down the field seemed like they wanted to treat him as sort of a, a space back and use him a little bit more receiving the ball 
in Robinson's first game last week, Gibson still, you know, had more of a receiving role and, and played more on passing downs than Robinson. It feels like I always go back to the, the old Saints teams, but it feels like that old version of the Saints where they would have like Pierre Thomas playing a little bit on both sides uh, in the passing game and on the ground. Darren Sproles was like their clear pass down guy. And then they always had like a late game, basically running, r- rushing only third back. And that was Mark Ingram in his rookie year. Prior to that, it was like Mike Bell. Um, a little bit later, I think they used Tim Hightower similarly, but then they also used him in a little bit of a, a little bit of a receiving role at times for him. Kyrie Robinson, another one that played that sort of hammer role. It feels like that where they have this one running back who is a rusher only one running back who was the obvious pass downs, basically receiver only one that is doing a little bit of both, except it's different because the saints would have that rusher only come in when they were leading late and kind of salt games away. The Pierre Thomas role, that two way role, which I think later was, you know, what Ingram was started to do had more certain touches because they would use that player early in the game and also use the pass catcher early in the game that Darren Sproles, Reggie Bush prior to that, who, however you're you know, going to say it. I mean, this team's not going to lead games late, but they are using Robinson early. They didn't use him on a lot of passing downs again. He looks like a runner only. I do think they're going to, I mean, Gibson didn't come in until later in the game, but I do think they're going to use Gibson a little bit as like an explosive, explosive play type player or try he to looks get... very good yeah he looks very good out there it's just really unfortunate that the commanders appear to have made up their mind on him you could it just it's so rare at this point to be able to find a second team and emerge as a running back in that way because of the way the position has evolved but you you sort of hope that for him so much of what people thought after his rookie season i mean you can still see that with him but it's not going to happen on this Washington Commanders team, barring an injury. You, just, you don't get enough total running back value. I and mean, this is a team that, again, anybody who watched this, is, I mean, this is no breaking news. But if you don't score a touchdown on a drive that it's longer than six yards, I mean, there's no running back value in this game if Vilas Jones doesn't fumble the punt. And I mean, from that perspective, until they make a quarterback change, there's nothing here for the running backs. Right. That's the point I'm trying to make. The, the comparison of the Saints is a little bit confusing. That's why I was trying to emphasize that the ways that they're going to use them in Washington are different. It's just the three-back kind of texture that I thought was similar because the Saints would actually have value potentially in all three of them at times. The difference in this scenario is I completely agree with you. Gibson's not going to get enough work. But the presence of Gibson playing a little bit as a secondary runner and on like some early down passing spots or for some of the designed passes, maybe some of the screens, or if they're ever going to split a back out wide, it seems like it's going to be Gibson, not Robinson. What that does to Robinson's value is sort of the the key. Great feel good story, Brian Robinson. But to me, all he is right now is a, you know, an early down grinder on an offense. That's not going to have a lot of early down grinding touches. You still have a hit on that touchdown or yeah. Yeah, you got to hit on the touchdown. You don't. You're not going to get enough high value touches without a touchdown. I think McKissick's the one. If any of them has any value, is the one that can have some value because he's going to have some games where he catches five, six balls. Still, it seems like his role is the same as it's always been. You can start these guys in an emergency situation. There is at least some potential that they will score points for you. In shallow leagues, you could even see Gibson getting cut after this game. You pick him up. He may have some contingent value later in the season. 
you know, Robinson could struggle with football related injuries at some point as running backs do the offense could become more dynamic behind either Heineke or Howell. So keep an eye on these guys. Definitely that there is some talent there on the other side of the ball. I mean, again, this is going to be a game where you're going to see what you want to see because I mean, Justin Fields looks so good in so many ways. He actually gets 190 yards passing in this one. He rushes for 88 yards. It's similar to the previous week where once he's in open space, I mean, Fields looks like a version of Russell Wilson, who is much more dynamic once he gets into the open field because he has that speed. And then it's a matter of do they ever build anything around him? He does have a touchdown. He could have had four touchdowns in this game. Now, I mean, that's going to be true for a lot of players, but he does have Komet open, unfortunately, gets that ball tipped. You could argue that he missed Ryan Griffin. I mean, he missed him. And yet at the same time, this is just another indication of ways in which this Bears offense is almost entirely made up of players who should be out of the NFL. Griffin more or less appears to miss the ground, pushing off with his with his legs to go make a push at this ball on the last couple of steps <laughs> how do you miss the ground well i mean we've all had that situation where <laughs> like you just you tie you're looking up at the ball you're trying to make some kind of athletic play in sports and your foot doesn't quite squarely hit and then you stumble you don't it was a bad play it, maybe the pass has to be better it's a bad play there and then smith marset again a player that really you prefer to not be using yeah, I mean, he should be on your practice squad or out of the NFL. We're not rooting against him. It's just, I mean, it's not a fair situation. He drops a fourth down. He fails to make a play in the end zone. Mooney fails to make a play at the end. There, there are some some bright spots here, I think. But, and, and again, this is, again, not breaking news. But you think about Justin Fields and like the massive drop in talent that he's working with and going from college to the NFL that's a black mark on the bears. I mean, there, there are multiple teams out there that don't have as much talent at the receiving positions as fields had in college, but I mean, you can't be fielding a non NFL roster around a player and expect everything to happen. Now, in terms of things that he has to do better, he's got to process the game more quickly, both in terms of getting rid of the ball and deciding to take off and run. You've got to be more definitive. You've got to make those yeah. decisions within the flow of the game faster. You hope that that improves as he gets more experience. But one of the big cutoffs between guys who can play and guys who can't, it's not all about arm strength. It's not all about accuracy. Decision-making and the ability for your mind to process information. You can think about that across sports. I and mean, it's one of the things we were talking about in baseball. I mean, the brain has to be able to process information at lightning speed in addition to having physical athleticism that's unreal we haven't necessarily seen that yet from him. And when you look back to his college play, not necessarily something he was asked to do because Ohio state is just so talented around him. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of opinions that are fields is just bad. Uh, you can make excuses for how bad everything is around him, but what has he shown us to make us believe that he's any good? I mean, number one, I just think that's the wrong way to look at anything. I, I feel like this is what we expected coming in. It's what we talked about all offseason, that they built such a bad team around him that he was going to look worse than he was no matter what. I mean, he has not looked good, but especially when they're not even letting him throw a ton. He threw a little bit more in this game, and then we see some of the issues with some of the drops and things that you said. Yes, some of the issues with him processing. Yes, some of the issues with him taking sacks are there as well, but it's not like he has players that are out there getting open to help him 
right? I mean, they don't have talents that can win in one-on-one matchups at the NFL level. They are running guys like, you know, Amir Smith-Marset in, into routes that he's got to go be able to win and separate. And, and that's just not a realistic, you know, ask of that player. So you're, you're getting the feedback that was sort of expected, which is that even if Fields looked average, he was going or, or played average quarterback at the NFL level, he was going to look below average. Nothing was going to help him here. The line was not going to help him. The receivers were not going to help him. And I would argue now the play calling we've seen has not helped him as well, which we didn't know that element for sure, but it has also not been helping him. The, uh, the athleticism jumps off the page. I mean, the run late, you mentioned last week, that run didn't actually show up in the stats. It got called back for, I think, an illegal block in the back or something like that. That was pretty questionable, but he had like a 50-yard run that was the same deal that, that we saw on Thursday night in that key spot down the stretch where he gets out into some space and then starts making a couple cuts. And you're like, Ooh, this is Michael Vick. Like this is, this is what Michael Vick was <laughs> like. That's who he reminds me of as a runner is Vick because I mean, you could, you could say Lamar Jackson or whatever. Jackson is like, Jackson is everything. Jackson's better than Vick. He's better than Fields. He's, he makes guys miss, right? Fields has those cuts in space that Vick had where then you see the speed and you're like, Oh, now all of a sudden he has the angle and you didn't realize he did. That's sort of the way I always envisioned Vic as a runner, where he could get into space, and then it looked like he probably didn't have an angle to get more yards, and then he would make a cut and have that. But he wasn't like juking dudes the way that Lamar did. Very nuanced, not not really relevant point. But Fields looks like that when he runs, when he gets out into space. One of the things that I think he gets hit with negatively by a lot of people, and it's just a, it's a human thing, but like. I'm certainly not going to question his toughness. He's taking a ton of shots, but he does from a, like a, I guess a body language standpoint, he does seem to play up some of the shots. He takes a little bit. He stays on the ground a long time. You see a lot of quarterbacks hop up and even it's funny. They'll hop up and they'll limp around even when they're not hurt. You know, the, the old Ben Roethlisberger, I feel like we see this with Stafford where he's always limping, but he he got up, but then he's, he's hurt, you know, but he's showing that he's toughing it out. Fields just lays on the ground for a long time after some plays. The long touchdown to Pettis, he laid on the ground for a significant amount of time. They scored a touchdown. And, you know, he seemed to be more concerned about, just from a body language standpoint, I'm certainly not questioning what he was actually concerned about, but he seemed to be more concerned about being hurt. And they show the replay, and he doesn't actually really take a huge hit. He gets a lineman sort of pushed into him. As he's following through, though, that does hurt. You know, you're following through, you're focusing on the, on the pass and you get contact as your body's moving into the contact. He took a shot to the leg that looked really scary and and he stayed down for a bit, ended up being pretty okay. He's taking a lot of hits. He's also not one just for whatever reason to pop right back up. And I, it doesn't really bug me as much as I think that he is getting sort of more negatively viewed for not being tough enough, which is just a very traditional football. Well, you see him over on the sideline doing some breathing things as well. I almost think that, I mean, it look, what it looks to me like is that he's trying to stay balanced to maintain his composure and that the, the mental element of being even keel, handling what just happened and getting ready for the next play I mean, I think there are positives to take from it. That's that's interesting that that people are are after him for that. That wouldn't be a concern for me. It just on any of these scrambling quarterbacks or quarterbacks who bring elite rushing ability to the table, especially if you don't have weapons around them, especially if they're still developing. If you want to win, 
And the Bears are in a rebuilding process. You can't overlook that element for them. If they had gotten back to three and three with, I mean, just how early in their rebuild they are, then, I mean, in some ways you might even argue that's negative for them because I mean, obviously they're they're going for some early picks next year. I but don't even from know if a, they're rebuilding re yet. They're, they're sort of tearing down still, but yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're in the collapse portion of it. Yeah. But if you want to compete, and you can't be any kind of athlete, you certainly can't be a professional athlete and not want to compete when the game is going, when you are the play caller, I, mean, I think it can be easy to miss how competitive and invested in the games all the coaching staff is. I mean, the play caller, you want to win that game. You've got to give your guy a chance to win, and if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. And that's something that you know we're, we're just still not seeing from the Bears and something that you know in the postgame and all those kinds of discussions – the coaching staff was getting criticized for you have this weapon you have to use them but that's one of the reasons why we get, take it back to fantasy here if you're in a dynasty league where the fields manager is competing and maybe needs more consistency maybe they need more upside put some offers out because a weapon like fields is unique even with the limitations it would be really surprising to me number one with where he's picked He's not just going to go away. Even if he fails with the Bears, he's going to be in the NFL for a long time. And he brings a profile that even though the Bears are squandering it, is favorable for fantasy, even though we're not seeing it so far. And then number two, you have this breakout potential long term. I would be trying to acquire fields off of the first half of the season and off of all of these performances anytime that there is frustration out there about him. I love hearing you say that because of what I said, where I heard very specifically we haven't seen anything from him. Even though he's in this bad situation, we haven't seen anything from him that, that shows that he's anything other than terrible. And that's the part that I've had a hard time with. That was the part that I, you know, last year I, on this show for, for, for the listeners that have been around since last season, spent a lot of time talking about fields, <clears throat> arguing very specifically that we couldn't evaluate him yet, that we should have expected some bumps in the road yet last year was a really horrible situation. This year's might even be worse. I mean, Matt Nagy was running just a really bad offense, and there was a lot of really specific stuff about his rookie year. When Andy Dalton was in there, they were actually willing to throw on non-obvious passing downs. I emphasized that a lot. I pulled up the numbers and stealing signals last year. They were willing to throw on early downs and in situations that are more favorable for passing. And so you have a bad coach who thinks he's protecting his quarterback by not having him throw on early downs, but what he's really doing is making every time he drops back only be in obvious spots, which is worse for him to try to get in any kind of rhythm. It's worse for him in the sense that every time he drops back, there's a defense that is in a in a pass defense. They're, you know, they talk about the D lineman pinning their ears back. You have all of those elements, very negative for him, as well as some of the play calling and all of that. This year has been almost worse. He has less talent, it feels like, um, even than last year. And Allen Robinson was, you know, a pretty much a complete zero for him last year, but it's been really bad for two years. What I do think we have seen from him is those traits that you said. He does have a really good deep ball when he does process and gets the ball out. That could be so huge. I mean, the throw to Pettis was fantastic. I mean, that was a really, really good throw. The, the broadcast, uh, Herb Street, I think, was emphasizing it. Even, you know, standing in the pocket, make, you know, gets hit as sort of as he's delivering, maybe right after he finishes the delivery, but puts that ball right on Pettis. I mean, a really he can throw in the face throw. of the rush, which yeah. not all quarterbacks can do. Right. And I mean, you look at the talent around him from a fantasy perspective, you got to factor that in to an extent. And I feel like we did in terms of considering that the price was favorable. Now, even with the favorable price, it hasn't worked out. 
but the talent around him is far worse than what Tom Brady was dealing with at the end of his run in New England. And Tom Brady is out there saying, look, people think that I'm washed up because I'm surrounded by people who can't play at the NFL level. I want to go somewhere where it's a legitimate offense and I'm going to look good again. If you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time making that case for himself and saying, I look like I should be out of the league, but I'm still actually one of the best in the NFL. Some guy who's just starting to play in the NFL. Right. That's the I mean, point. You should have, have, we should have it reasonable expectations for young quarterbacks and i mean what i guess one of the other little more nuanced points we can make is that when we're looking at guys like this and we're trying to evaluate them i think people ask me uh, have started to ask me a lot more lately about sort of how we come to some of our conclusions sean because we, we we're, we're looking at a lot of data but we're also looking at a lot of stuff on film i think with quarterbacks like this what i'm looking at like i i see a lot of reactions when i'm on twitter and watching these games live that are i see a bad throw and then it's that was that that was like it looks bad on on in the game. All of the reactions are that throw was nowhere near. A lot of the time when I'm looking at that, I'm trying to envision what the quarterback's seeing. And a lot of the time in those situations, it's a closely guarded receiver who's not very good, right? Like it's it's an Amir Smith Marset who has not created separation and is not going to win a jump ball. And it's a worse throw to try to fit it into him because it's just going to get deflected and intercepted. And so a lot of times the throws that look bad are probably because they're essentially throwaways. You know, they're, they're throwing away from the defender out of, like he's on the sideline and the defender's right there in his hip pocket. And so he's throwing it out of bounds. It's like, oh, he didn't even give him a chance to make a play. It's like, yeah, but like he couldn't give him a chance to make a play because there was nowhere to throw the ball to that player or to anyone else on the field and the ball had to come out. So sometimes when you see some of these throws that end up being called really bad throws, I think the initial reaction is always, that throw's not even close. When, when the camera pans and you... you you see the receiver doesn't really have a chance to make a play. Consider whether the receiver was even open is the is the sort of nuanced point that I would make there. I think that I saw that a decent amount with Fields last night where it's like he's just kind of throwing away from trouble to live to play another down because you have to. To wrap up the Thursday night game, there was one more point on Washington's side I wanted to make. Curtis Samuel down game. He's been looking okay. You mentioned the Wentz sub 100 yards. That play down the seam, Wentz actually throws a really nice ball, and Samuel – basically had what you described with Griffin, I think, where he maybe didn't didn't hit the ground when he was trying to jump. Very awkward leap. hits Should have hit both of his hands. I think it only maybe hit one. But just drops what should have been a 40-yard touchdown. So that was unfortunate from Wentz, and, and it was a good throw, I, I think, to defend him a little bit. And on Samuel's side, it was nice to see an air yards play, and a downfield play has been getting a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage. He's got to make that play. I, I think he can for, for the most part. But it, another note that I had for, for Thursday night, yeah, I think that there's a decent possibility of Curtis Samuel bouncing back two for six in this one. He has very little trade value, but if you need to add some depth at receiver, not a bad target there. Then this week has a handful of really exciting games. We see the AFC Championship game preview, and unless the AFC wants to go and blow the Super Bowl again, uh, you know, you could argue the most important game of the season that AFC championship game between the Kansas city chiefs and the Buffalo bills, both of these teams four and one, the bills coming off of an absolute demolition demolition of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the chiefs overcoming some questionable officiating and a huge early deficit to defeat the Las Vegas Raiders. I got to get your take on this game from a betting perspective first. Because I think this will be a good start to talk about how we expect this game to go. The line opened 
Buffalo minus one and a half. First time Patrick Mahomes has been a home underdog in like, I don't know, 40 games or something. It was a you know really long time, broke a really long streak. That stat has been thrown out a lot, but the line has moved towards the Bills. It's minus three in some places now. It's sat at minus two and a half. Most everyone I've talked to that watches a lot of football thinks Buffalo is a lot better than the Chiefs and thinks that this line should be even bigger towards Buffalo. I did too initially think that this line might be a little bit heavier towards Buffalo with the high team, uh, the high over under you have, you know, the close lines not matter quite as much. There's going to be a lot of points and and you can get more separation in the final score line when there's a lot of points scored. So I kind of felt like this was a little bit of a trap line on Vegas's part in the sense that they were giving the chiefs a lot of respect, but we're actually seeing a lot of commentary in sort of the betting industry about Mahomes being a home underdog. And it seems like more bets may be coming in on the chiefs. I, I think it's a really interesting line and game to try to handicap. I'm probably not going to make a pick on it for, for stealing lines, but it's one I've really been looking at because I felt like the initial line was trying to get bets onto the Bills side, frankly, and the line has even moved towards the Bills. It does seem like maybe the, the, the sharp money, if you will, is coming in on the Bills. Like I said, a lot of people that I respect that I talk to think that the Bills are going to win this game and maybe buy more than a field goal. And yet, I again, in thinking that it was a trap line, felt immediately like the Chiefs are probably being disrespected a little bit as the underdog at home. It's going to be a really good game, right? It is going to be. And you see some matchup elements that are kind of fun. This is a game where you have the Chiefs dynamic offense and rising defense against the Bills, who are so dynamic on both sides of the ball, but also have been a little bit inconsistent, right? You have them give up the huge game to Cooper Cup again some garbage time elements to that. You have the game last week where the Steelers have a lot of garbage time and end up with the number two expected points in the passing game. George Pickens scores 14 points, but this is a game where, I mean, you look at what the bills have done and they've been a little bit more inconsistent. I think than people realize they have this game against the Dolphins that they blow despite owning it from a statistical perspective. They have a game against the Ravens that they definitely should have lost. They were outplayed in that game, some officiating blunders that move in their favor, but that a rain game, some weird elements to it. You pull up the passing game matchup Raider on Rotoviz, and one of the things that jumps out to you is that Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, two of the very lowest ratings for the entire week. They're expected to be completely locked down by this elite bill secondary. And yet Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way. We talked earlier in the week about how poorly all of his weapons were playing, that they need to find a running back. They don't have anybody out there who can get the job done. They need to find a wide receiver. They don't have anybody out there who can get the job done in the passing game. And yet Patrick Mahomes putting up points. It is a weird dynamic here because The Chiefs have been so good. They're able to come back against a Raiders team that is undervalued or underrated. I think it's tough to play, to to bet against the Chiefs here. They've got some guys getting healthy. The Chiefs don't necessarily have the same type of team that's going to humiliate 
a weaker team in the same way, but we've also watched them pull off of some of the teams that they were taking it to. I mean, this Arizona Cardinals team that they humiliated early in the season actually is, is average. They're fine. I mean, that's not a team that you would expect to annihilate. Teams are going to change quite a bit, even within the first month. But you watch what the Cardinals did against the Eagles and contrast that to where, I mean, the Chiefs could have beat them by 100 if they had wanted to. So I, and this could be, like I said, this is the biggest game of the regular season until we see what high leverage games come down the end as teams are fighting for playoff spots and the number one season, that kind of thing. I think you're going to see a different Andy Reid, a different Patrick Mahomes than what we've seen to this point. You just go right back to their playoff game last season where it was a back and forth affair the whole time. Both teams actually held each other down until the shootout that happens on this back and forth in the second half of the fourth quarter and then in overtime. I think the Bills are a better team right now, but I think it's closer than what people are referencing. The Bills, in games where they were challenged, made more mistakes than I think people are willing to admit. And, I mean, this is going to be a back-and-forth game toward the last possession and things like how does the first half end? Does it end on a Bills score, on a Chiefs score? Who has the ball to start the second half? Are we going to see back-to-back touchdowns by a team to finish the first half and to start the second half? Those types of things are going to play a big role in a game like this where the specific scenarios and how each quarterback manages those elements, even within the things that they've struggled with. When you're talking about trying to stop Patrick Mahomes on third down, will Andy Reid go for it on fourth down in a game where you have to have it? It's a different dynamic than these teams have faced to this point. I think you describe that incredibly well. That's how I'm thinking about it as well. The Chiefs have been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde offensively where they have actually had multiple games where they've looked completely unstoppable. I mean, the the Cardinals game you referenced, the Bucks game, and the Bucks game in, in – in particular, I mean, again, I go back to what were the comments on Twitter and things like that. I always love to kind of reference the sent- sentiment. I remember seeing a tweet, no idea who sent this, so sorry uh, if that individual is listening, but it said something like, it seems like Andy Reid spent a little extra time this offseason thinking about the Bucks. You know, like they knew they had that game in week four. It seems like they had a, you know, a few different tricks, and, and that, that's how it was, it was a great tweet. That's how it felt, right? They came out against Tampa and were – doing you know some different things and doing some things very effectively and they hadn't looked that good against the Colts or the Chargers a couple of weeks prior and there was almost that twinkle in his eye when they interviewed him at halftime when they're lighting him up where you know he's just like this defense is awesome but we've got too much for it and also why were we not the favorites in this game right right and that was one where I did take the Chiefs on the money line and was glad to have done that obviously We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Chiefs Bills is a whole different animal. I mean, this can go a lot of different ways. You reference how in the playoffs last year they did kind of hold each other down. I go back to a game in 2020 as you were talking about that. In it was uh, Kansas City in Buffalo. It was one of the first real big regular season showdowns between these teams. It was Week Six as well. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire ended up rushing 26 times. I remember in the second half, they couldn't stop him. And so the Chiefs just said, fine, we're going to shorten this game and we're going to run the ball all second half. It was so bizarre. I remember writing about and stealing signals and trying to make this case that the Chiefs just found something that worked and it was such a competitive game that they just kept going to it. And he, he ran effectively. I mean, we, we give him a lot of grief, but he ran for 161 yards to this day, easily a career high. It's only one of one of only four hundred yard games he's ever had. It's easily a career high, or not easily a career high, but it's a career high in rushes at twenty six. His first career game in twenty twenty had a twenty five carry game in week one of that year. Those are his only two games north of twenty carries of his career so far. So, are you hinting that Ronald Jones is the secret secret weapon? So, that like, I mean, maybe what I'm hinting is they probably didn't go into that game thinking they were going to give Clyde Edwards-Hiller twenty six carries. But what I'm hinting is we might actually see some pretty unique stuff in this box score. You go back to the Gabe Davis four touchdowns, right? Both of these teams have done it where they found something in what the other team was doing from a game plan perspective. The Bills in that playoff game basically just ignored Stephon Diggs. And the way, I mean, I didn't break down the film. And again, I always say this, I'm not someone who can. But the way I always interpreted Gabe Davis's four TD game in some respects was the Chiefs were taking away Diggs and saying, we want your other guys to beat us, and Davis was. And so the Bills just kept going to that, and it kept working. You're going to probably see some unique stuff like that, where some unheralded player gets more usage than any of us are expecting when we talk about it from a fantasy perspective, because these teams are going to game plan, as you were describing, in unique ways, and then they're going to respond in unique ways. They know each other well. The bet on this game that I'm actually, I guess, most interested in but also would never take is probably the under because I think you're right that they they could hold each other down a little bit there's going to be a feeling out element the reason I would never take it is what we saw in the postseason in the second half last year these two offenses can obviously get into uh, a fourth quarter where they score 50 points in that quarter alone almost I mean you don't want to you don't want to be sitting on the under at any point that would just be a miserable watch I'm not going to be taking that bet but it does feel a little bit like this could be a little bit disappointing of a game from a fantasy perspective in the sense that both teams might have to feel each other out a little bit. They know each other well. We always talk about how divisional opponents who know each other well tend to, to, to play lower scoring games. These are the same, relatively same rosters that have competed several times over the last couple of years now. 
met in the playoffs. It's going to be a great game, but I, I think you put it really well. It's good. I, I think Kansas City is going to have some stuff up their sleeves. I don't think Buffalo is going to look as great as they've looked. I think they're going to have some answers because they're also clearly circling this game, right? I think both teams clearly circling this game since the schedule release, since May. And you look at what the Chiefs did in the offseason, how they drafted. They did not put together their 2022 roster with the idea of somehow we have to figure out how to get by the Cincinnati Bengals. They did not draft it in reaction to losing the AFC championship game. They drafted it looking ahead to the next time that they have to play the Buffalo Bills. And how do you increase your chances to win that game? And I think that's such a great way to have approached this is the game that you actually won, but the team that you know is the bigger hurdle that you want to figure out a way to win it more convincingly the next time or at least to win it again, because you know that the Bills are doing the same thing. They're looking at you and saying, how do we beat the Kansas City Chiefs? The Chiefs haven't gotten a lot of health from their young corner yet. We don't know how that's going to play out. You mentioned that the Chiefs ran Clyde Edwards a layer a lot in one of the recent matchups. It's hard to envision this exactly, but when you think about how well the Bills played down the stretch last year and what a big part of that Devin Singletary was and just how different this game will be than the games against teams that they're blowing out and have no competition with, the Chiefs could ask them. Again, you think about how they're going to react to those touchdowns they gave up to Gabe Davis. I mean, you could see such a conservative defense from the Chiefs. And I kind of hope we don't have this. It's not the game that I'm looking for from a fun perspective. But where the Bills are forced to use Devin Singletary, and we'll get to see, like, can Singletary get the job done? Will the Bills make the mistake of having a lot? I mean, it doesn't even have to be that many times, right? We talk all the time on the show about, Football is a game of possessions. How many possessions are you going to have? How many are you going to blow? In a game where your Chiefs bills, you can't blow any of them. You can't come out and give a first and 10 carry to Zach Moss. Is he going to play? Will this be James Cook's breakout game? And, I mean, we'll have a lot more exposure to Singletary than Cook, but Cook is somebody who could be a really exciting part of the Bills attack in the second half of the season. If we look at it from a more global perspective and how are these teams going to evolve, I'm excited to see what the Bills do with their running backs and, and can Cook break a big play in this game. You know, will we actually see the Bills be the team that is forced to run the ball? There are so many ways this game could go. That's it's easily point. the game I'm most excited for. Yeah, that's a great point. And as far as fantasy is concerned, I mean, you're looking at the the over-under, as far as I, how I would play it, you're looking at the over-under you're looking at guys like Singletary and look, Singletary could have a really low point total in this game too for fantasy, but I want him in, in lineups for the most part. I, I want players like that, that I think the team relies on. I, I made a point in signals <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago as it related to Singletary's role in the Ravens game where it spiked a ton. It got up to about like 80% of the snaps. That was a game they wanted to win. They were trailing. They came back and won it one that when, when they were in a tough spot backed against the wall, when they needed their best players on the field, they went to the heaviest snap share that Singletary's had all year to date. I'm not certain that's what's going to happen in this Chiefs game, but my argument was essentially that Singletary wasn't going to continue to play at that high of a rate in a lot of regular season games because they're thinking through, you know, the the, the Super Bowl, basically. We got to keep guys healthy and all of that. But the, the reason he did go to that high of a snap rate in that game was they were playing the Ravens. And it was a very similarly huge game for them. And then you also look at the, the way that the Chiefs approached the Bucs. Same deal. I mean, they played them in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Obviously a huge game 
for the Chiefs. The Chiefs approach things a little bit differently. Not necessarily any like clear player usage that was different, but schematically and, and some of the plays they were designing were, were certainly a little bit unique. I, I think if you're looking at guys like Singletary, he's the best example probably, that he can have some games where his usage isn't great, some games where his usage is really strong. You have to think in this matchup he's going to be used a lot because they do trust him and they think he's their best running back, and I think they've shown us that. And so I'm willing to, to bite the bullet if he has a five-point game and, and doesn't do a whole lot, knowing that there's a lot of potential here for him to, to, to have one of his best games of the year, frankly, if that's how the game is dictated from a game plan perspective. That's a great point. And when I was chatting with Eric Baldwin on the FFPC show last week, I was kind of pointing out the opposite, which is that just because the Bills are going to win this game doesn't mean it's going to be a good game for Singletary. It's just not the way that the Bills use their backs. And that's what we saw. Singletary, very explosive last week, looked good, but they're up by so much so quickly that they go to some other backs later on and let Cook get in there and also look good. So, I mean, from his perspective, it's never ideal to yet let a rookie with that much explosiveness touch the ball because those touches stick in the coach's minds. But like you said, I mean, he's clearly the guy and there's a reason that he didn't play. They didn't need him to play. And cook did look great. And I could see him mix in a little bit, but you know, did have the fumble back in week one. They don't really seem to trust him a ton yet. So I, I, I would count myself a little bit surprised if he played, if this was a game where his role really expanded the same time i could definitely see it so it, it, it'll be interesting it'll be interesting i mean there's you made the little joke about ron jones it would it surprise you I, I don't think it was a total joke it would not surprise you i can speak for you on this if he was finally active for this game and we found out that they've been kind of behind the scenes waiting for this game to to know that he's their most physical running back and go use him i feel similarly about sky Moore, who i said earlier this week is going to be a couple weeks till he really comes on wouldn't surprise me if his role was as big as it's ever been in this game, though. If they feel like that's something that they're ready to unleash sort of on the Bills, there's going to be something like that. I'm not saying it's going to be Sky or Ron Jones. Those are guys we've talked a lot about and we haven't seen. There's going to be something like that. Maybe it's McKenzie on the Bills side. Maybe it's you know Khalil Shakur. I, maybe it's Cook. <laughs> but there's going to be something. Maybe it's the first good game for Dawson Knox this year. Dawson Knox. That's not what I'm betting on. But no, you can't rule anything but, out. Yeah, we also have a really cool game that I, unexpectedly where the New York Giants at four and one are facing the Baltimore Ravens. This is getting close to a must win game for the Ravens right off the bat. But you could almost say the same thing for the Giants, because as you referenced on the previous show, the NFC East has been so dynamic, at least from a win loss perspective, I think that we may find these teams are not as good as expected. But that was the thing everyone thought last week with the Giants, that their 3-1 and record is a mirage. They go out there to London. They're able to hold down Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Now, Aaron Rodgers dealing with the young rookies. That gets talked about ad nauseum. But it is a case where the Giants' secondary again showed that they were able to hold up. You go in and look at the matchup tool on the player page. So if you load up Devin Duvernay a stealth, not really stealth anymore, but someone who is benefiting from some specific situations within the Ravens and has been a sleeper this season. You look at his matchups and you can see that the Giants are 30th in terms of points against their 31st in terms of fantasy points over expectation. That's receivers scoring against them. The flip side of that is that in week one, they face the Titans and Kyle Phillips is leading the way. 
week two, you have DJ Moore. He scores 13 points, but we know what the Panthers are dealing with. Dallas Cowboys, CeeDee Lamb scores 22. Cowboys, a low-volume offense. Then you have the Bears and Darnell Mooney we just talked about. And the Packers, so five teams that are not particularly explosive. You do look in the matchup reader again to kind of balance some of those things out and see where we are with this game. And Rashad Bateman, a foot issue there. He's got a really poor matchup. But Duvernay, specifically a 32, one of the worst matchups in the week. Ben, what are you seeing in this one? Is it an important game for both of these teams? And how is this one going to play out? I mean, every game in the NFL is an important one for, for, for both teams, right? And I think you put it well on the on the NFC East and on the Giants. They're a team that I've been looking for spots to be betting against. I, I mean, I Ravens are now 3-2. and two. That loss to, to the Bills a couple of weeks ago was a really haunting one, obviously. The loss to the Dolphins, another one where they sort of blew a significant lead. They could be a 5-0 and team right now. They are not. Both were home losses, but they've been good throughout the year so far. Obviously, they got a night, you know, much closer. Nice win against the Bengals this past week. They're on the road. They are favored by a decent amount. I mean, I guess I, I think this is the one where you see what you were saying about the Giants come to fruition, which is that they have not played to the level that they are. And that we see the Ravens, you know, win by a couple of touchdowns. That's that's sort of the way that probably the rest of the market thinks as well. It's, it feels like the you know the the, the fish side. It's the way we would have described what I was going to say is the way that we would have described that Packers and Giants game last week. Is that that would have been it? That game was in London. There's a lot of you know you can throw different things out there. It doesn't mean that the process is necessarily wrong. The Giants are probably a pretty fraudulent team. Barkley has been so good, but is doing so much. And not, I mean, like the receiving role has not really materialized for him. There are, there are, you know, some slight concerns for him from a fantasy perspective. He had like 10 high value touches in week one. I think since it's something like four, four, five, and six in the four games since, you know, he's not had another big high value touch game. Maybe it's three games at four. He definitely has, you know, the green zone role locked up. I'm not saying in any, format or any for any reason to be not playing Barkley he looks so fantastic right now but their offense is very dependent on him just making explosive plays and not necessarily in high value situations Daniel Jones throwing to you know Darius Slayton this past week and they have Marcus Johnson up running a ton of routes as a guy that made his debut with the team the week before and played a couple of snaps they don't have a receiving game they don't really have a passing game it's it's basically predicated on Barkley and on Daniel Jones is rushing. I mean, that's that's sort of been their whole offense. All of their wins so far, lower scoring, close games. You know, all of their games have been decided by eight points or fewer. That Packers game, 27-22, most points they've scored all year, close to the most that they've given up. They've only given up 23. I, this is a game where they gave up 35, I think. One of the cool elements, though, is that they were down in this game and you would in the game last week against the Packers. And you would think that this is the last team in the NFL that would be able to deal with that since you have Daniel Jones hobbling around and still like his hobbling is what he's good for as the quarterback. And yet they're able to rally again, the elite coaching, it seems like 
from this particular team. We'll talk about the haves and have nots on offense. The haves and have nots obviously stretches beyond that from a full roster wide and both sides of the ball coaching perspective here. You mentioned Saquon Barkley. He is at 19 expected points per game. He doesn't quite have that EP double double that we're looking for. It sounds greedy to say the guy who is number two trailing only Joe Mixon in expected points that we want him to get higher. But if he get to 20.5, you mentioned those receiving touches. If those can jump a little bit, then it gives him a little bit more floor. The cool thing about Saquon Barkley, as you alluded, is that he's sort of Jonathan Taylor and maybe even Jonathan Taylor plus when you consider the receiving, there's almost no such thing as a low value touch for someone with Saquon Barkley's speed. I was going through and updating the dynasty running back rankings this week. And this is more just of an aside, not you know as relevant, maybe. Certainly we're looking at scoring as being what you care about in fantasy, but it's really cool right now to think that you may have generational players and, and people joke about throwing that tag around too often. But when you look at the top three guys right now for me and you have Brees Hall, Jonathan Taylor, and Saquon Barkley, you're talking about three players who are 215 pounds or more, obviously Taylor and Barkley, both even considerably bigger than that, all three of them in that 4.38 to 4.4 speed range. And at least two of the three can catch the ball. Jonathan Taylor has been a little bit iffy, but we've seen them use him a lot. If the quarterback play had been better, if some of those even short passes have been more accurate, to have three down guys with that much size and speed we talked earlier in the season about the decline of the Uber back to an extent, but even within that larger environment, and since that happened, we've had big bounce backs from the veteran running backs last two or three weeks. They're looking good now. I just think it's so cool, just purely as a fan and an enthusiast, to have three players with that much physical ability and then to see them use that on an NFL field. It's no given. I mean, you see guys who were workout warriors drafted in the middle rounds every couple of years. And you're always thinking maybe this is the guy who breaks out to have three superstars with that much physical ability. And they create big plays constantly. It's just so much fun to watch these games. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking that during the Thursday night football game, and this has nothing to do with necessarily elite athleticism, but the, the Khalil Herbert long run was, oh, I mean, man. I was just like a good run is a really exciting football play. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. That was a really cool play breaks couple tackles and then immediately cuts back sort of through the middle of the field and it was, and just in a really exciting 64 yard run or something like that yeah when we see these you know running backs make make exciting plays they're they're exciting it's it's not not at all in question you mentioned the the Packers Giants game I, I I pulled that up it was a low possession game we you just also mentioned what we love to talk about how football's a game of possessions Giants three and outs on their first two drives from that point forward, field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And their eighth drive was three meals and they took a, a safety intentionally. They basically had seven offensive possessions. They scored on their final five. They went six for 11 on third downs. One of those was the kneel down on the last drive before they took a safety on fourth down. So really six for 10. Two of them were early. They had the punts on the, on the two three and outs. From that point on, on competitive third downs, they went six for eight. And, and the two they missed, they settled for field goals on those plays, but on those drives. But you go six for eight, basically, in a stretch on third downs, and you 
score on five straight possessions in what is essentially a seven possession game for you. You know, a game where the Packers got criticized a little bit for their long running style and strategy of, of slowing the game down and taking so much time before the snaps that they will limit games to, especially when they face an opponent like the Giants who are willing to, to do the same thing, limit games to seven or eight possessions. The average is typically around 11 possessions. You put that much variance into it when you're the Packers, when you're the superior team, you run into these kinds of issues. It's not a great idea. The Giants, though, so efficient on those five drives to come from behind and win. That's the part of it that I think has to run out for them. I mean, I just you, you can't go six for eight on third downs, even if you're in a lead offense, right? And, and no matter who you're playing, it just it, it's a really difficult thing to do. It can happen in one game samples. I don't think they're going to be able to do that this week against the Ravens. That type of efficiency, they're going to have more possessions as well. So it could be a different type of game. Just the, the specific way that they came from behind against the Packers was, you know, running and, and leaving yourself these third and manageables and then always converting them. And it's just something that we know from watching a lot of football. You can't win that way week to week. And the specific thing they're going to do this week then to win the game is deploy Wandale Robinson. <laughs> I mean, if you get if you get a playmaker in the receiving game, your offense can be different. Certainly, we're waiting for Wandale to come back. You said that you said that in a funny voice, but I mean, him or if Kadarius Tony's hamstrings ever you know aren't hurting. Because it seems both of his hamstrings are just such a problem right now. I'm still holding both of those guys because they need somebody to play receiver. Robinson, he comes back this week. You got to think he's their top receiver going forward, right? An interesting pick for the drafts that we did earlier in the week where you have resurrection. If you're looking for rest of season moves to jumpstart your team, consider him in trades. Wondell Robinson should be a lot of fun. Yeah, the ADOT's going to be low, but he has yards after the catch ability. We'll see if those translate, but he was such a physical runner for such a small guy at the college level. Obviously, we know those are different, but so much production does translate. You mentioned the limited number of possessions in this game. I think on OT earlier in the week, Colin and I were talking about the fact that it seemed like the Packers massively blew this game, and they did. But from the time that they were way up to the time that they were way down, the Packers only touch the ball on a handful of plays. And I think that sometimes when we criticize play calling in any given week in the NFL, it can seem very nitpicky and in a way it is. And it's all, it's always second guessing to where if things had gone differently, you know, but as we're trying to evaluate the way that these teams are approaching the game, the reason that individual plays matter is that you just don't have that many possessions. You throw one away. You don't know how the game is going to change to where that would be the play that you shouldn't have made. Now, for the Packers' pr perspective in this game, mostly execution is the issue that they were dealing with, but uh, you just can't put yourself in a situation where you don't have the ball for like two hours of real time. Right. So they, so. you make a great point. They kicked a field goal at the end of the half to go up 20 to 10. They were at one point up 17-3, but they go up 20 to 10 at the end. At the end of the right at the end of the half, that field goal, last play of the half. Giants started the second half with the ball, 11 play, seven minute drive. Packers have a seven play, four minute drive after that, where they ended up punting. And the Giants answered with another 15 play, eight minute drive. And the Packers answered that with a three and out that only took 26 seconds. So they had these 10 Crushing. plays, and the Giants turned around, had another touchdown drive, six plays only three minutes and 30 seconds, but they're three long drives that the giants to start 
the second half took up, you know, 18 and a half minutes of, of the second half. The Packers only had the ball for about five minutes and ran 10 plays. And they were then down at that point, 27 to 20 after going into halftime up 20 to 10. That's just, that's wild. Absolutely crazy. But I want to ask you before we go, and we are starting to run out of time here, but we have the Buccaneers Steelers. Kenny Pickett, an interesting player. The Steelers get blown out in week five. That part, not a surprise, but they do do some interesting things in garbage time. They don't look overwhelmed other than getting blown out. I mean, they look like an offense that's still moving the ball down the field. You contrast that with some of the things that the Lions did. The Lions, I think, setting records for turning the ball over on downs. That part, frustrating and sad there. But now the Steelers, and this is one of the things that we were worried about in terms of stashing pick at a lot of places, that his schedule absolutely brutal. They go and play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a matchup where the two lowest wide receivers in the entire NFL in terms of matchup rating for this weekend, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, that part I think disconcerting because those are fun players and you want to see this offense evolve. But at the same time, I think that game script could make this a more favorable game for the Steelers than some of the numbers are going to indicate. The Buccaneers, not exactly a team that runs the ball effectively and sits on it. Now, it could be different again against the Steelers. But if they throw a lot early, they get up big, this could be a game that features a lot of snaps and a lot of plays that are very low leverage for the Tampa Bay defense in a situation where even if maybe they're overmatched in the first half, that the Steelers could score at least a lot of fantasy points. Is that something that you're comfortable chasing in this game, or are you worried about this matchup? No, that I, I'm I'm willing to play Pickett this week. I, I that was my prediction for the Steelers last week, and it didn't pan out. But as you noted, they actually had a reasonably decent offensive performance on paper. 364 total yards is not terrible. Pickett throws for 327 of that. They didn't really run the ball very much or very effectively early when they tried to. But I mean, they lose 38 to three in this game, but they missed two field goals. And they had three possessions end on downs from uh, at, at the Buffalo 30 or closer. Two of them were in the red had, – their drives had reached the red zone. One ended at the Buffalo 30. I mean, they moved the ball, and especially later, like you just described in this potential Bucks matchup where the Bills were ahead and maybe not as committed to trying to shut them down. The, the Steelers did have – after an opening – drive where they got a field goal three straight three and outs in the first half i mean that wasn't great but um after that point pretty much moved the ball pretty well they had they had uh the one interception but their fifth drive in the first half was a 60 yard drive that led to a missed field goal they had the interception right before half and then the second half starts with 55 yard drive ends on downs 53 yard drive missed field goal 45 yard drive ends on downs a three and out and then a 54-yard drive ends on downs. I mean, they had five second-half possessions, four of them 45 or more yards. So they were moving the ball down the field, especially late after they were done. I mean, to again, caveat, Bills were up 31-3 to at halftime. The Bills weren't trying that hard. But the way you just described it, I mean, I think there's, there's two scenarios. One, 
the Steelers actually compete a little bit, and that's good for their stats, which may be the less likely scenario. Two, probably the more likely scenario. The the Bucks are out ahead a little bit, but the, the Steelers are staying competitive and aggressive. And I do think we see some things on some of those drives we talked about earlier in the in the week. They had some chances to score. Deontay Johnson catches a ball in the end zone and has a foot come down on the line. He also catches one inside the five that would have been a first down, has a foot come down on the line on a third down, and they ended up missing a field goal on the very next play. Um, there's, you know, there's reason for me to be optimistic as well. I, I'm very much in on on playing Pickett in the situations where you don't have a lot of great options, right? I'm not saying go go play him in shallow leagues, but if you're in a deeper league, I'm going to play him in high stakes because, you know, those are deeper leagues. It's harder to find quarterbacks that you can start. Anyone who's done anything that looks remotely decent is not not available not available to be added. You don't have great alternatives. But I think in those spots, it's very fine to be playing Pickett from a volume perspective he adds some mobility. He only ran once for 10 yards this past week, but he does move around well. He could have a 30 rushing yard game basically at any point, which is not a ton, but it's you know it's three free points. Feels like a guy who's going to get you 10 points minimum, right? Just on passing yardage and on rushing yardage. And then if the TDs do hit, if they score late this time, instead of only scoring the three points, you're going to be uh, looking at a pretty good quarterback line. Yeah, I think the real concern here would be that Fournette and the Buccaneers play this more like the first two weeks where Fournette gets 21 and 24 rushing attempts over the last three, just 12, three and 14. And you pull up the strength of schedule streamer and see that the Bucks do have a plus matchup against Pittsburgh's rush defense. But if we can avoid the scenario where the Buccaneers more or less control this game completely and kill the clock and the Steelers don't have the ball, in the second half that would be the demoralizing game as both a fan as a fantasy manager if you're watching in the second half is just this four net three yards drudgery that would be disappointing but going beyond even the stats and looking to you know what you see watching the games this is probably a little bit of evaluating players through rose-colored glasses but i just don't think that there are many teams in the NFL right now who have two wide receivers who look more dynamic than Deontay Johnson and George Pickens Pickens overshadowing Johnson a little bit because of how well he's playing right now, but still nobody gets open like Deontay Johnson. He's the short area cutting ability, the lateral agility and explosiveness just unreal. I mean, you've got two plus guys and then you can throw the ball to chase Claypool if you want. He's been disappointing for fantasy so far. I mean, I look at some of the teams that aren't doing real well and I, I was really excited about Johnson have him in the middle of, you know, the, the fourth round, right in the middle of the early rounds. And it's not been great what he's been able to give us for fantasy scoring on the flip side. I don't feel bad about having him on, on those teams. There's some guys that I'm concerned about, right? Like DJ Moore, we talk a lot about, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to bounce back, but I'm not excited about that pick looking good at any point this year. I'm pretty excited about the Deontay Johnson pick looking good at some point, which is another way of saying that he's maybe a, a guy to go potentially try to buy here at the end of this week if you can before this game. The Bucks pass rate over expected has been really interesting over the last couple of weeks. They were at negative 4% in week one, negative 3% in week two. Those are those run-heavy games you mentioned. Positive 4% in week three all pretty close to league average, not huge variations. When they got their receivers back healthy, right? Because week three was the one that 
Evans missed uh, to suspension, and they had Julio out, and they had Godwin out. Week four, Godwin returns. Evans returns plus 17% in week four against a really high expected pass rate because that's a game that they lost to the to the Chiefs. This past week, really low expected pass rate, their lowest of the season, week five, plus 18% pass rate over expect. Two really, really high pass rate over expected these last couple of weeks when they've had both Godwin and Evans in the lineup together. I, I mean, I, I'm hopeful, right, that we've turned the corner with the Bucs offense a little bit and that they're not – they're probably going to have some run-heavy games still going forward. But I think they want to be a pass-first team. That's what they were most of the last couple of seasons with Tom Brady under center. I don't think they're going to be a you know, plus 17, plus 18% pass rate over expected team in every game going forward. But the last two weeks, one with a really high expected pass rate, one with a lot lower expected pass rate, their pass rate over-expected in both scenarios – well, well above what you would expect in those game environments. So hopefully we see at least early a lot of passing. You might be right if they get uh, out ahead. That expected pass rate will be really low again. They might lean into that a little bit more in this spot and run. I think they want to get their, their passing game going. And I, I think we're going to see them continue to attack through the air more than would be expected even if they're leading. And as you're going through that, one of the things that popped in mind is that this is sort of a sneaky – game to deploy Rashad White if you're choosing between two or three uh, not exactly desperation but probably not ideal starting options for your running back two slot I love that yeah I mean it makes perfect sense right if they get out ahead we've seen White play a decent amount maybe he gets a little bit of extra run in the second half but they're still willing to throw a little bit that sounds great I mean you could even get a couple touchdowns from him in the fourth quarter if the Steelers completely implode and a as we're seeing more and more, some of these trailing teams, you know, they're not just going to punt and try and lose by 14. They're willing to go for it. They're willing to attack. They're willing to throw interceptions on their own side. You know, you have some touchdown opportunities there as opposed to both teams just running out the string. Well, Ben, as we go through this, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to Seattle Mariners this weekend, but I'm looking forward to week six of the NFL season. We could talk for another four or five hours before we let the listeners go. Were there any other notes that you definitely had to get out there? Nope. No, nothing too top of mind. I've been uh I've been in baseball mode more than more than usual this week, right? So fun show chatting through the biggest matchups with you. It'll be another fun week. I'm excited. I'm excited uh for some of these teams that have not panned out exactly the way that we hoped. There's still a lot there for us to 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 start getting some of these outcomes that it's easy to be like, yeah, all the guys we like are, are rebound potentials, but we just went and did our drafts this week, Sean, and we wanted to draft a lot of them again. And we wanted, we wanted to, to, to be making those bets again for a reason. So hopefully week six is a big one. Yeah. You mentioned those drafts. Those were so much fun. Get over to underdog and play the weekly drafts. Win yourself the battle Royale and come down with some money there. If you, Sign up and use the coupon code ROTOVIZ. You get a 100% deposit match up to $100. The thing that jumped out to me on those teams, and as I did a couple more teams myself yesterday right before it closed, was that the players we hit on, we definitely were still comfortable drafting them several rounds earlier. And that's kind of our thesis all along, is that you've got to put together these teams where you expect the price if a midseason draft or a 2023 draft that they're going to grow in value by multiple rounds but then as opposed to hitting i wouldn't say compromise selections exactly but taking some of the guys with 
built-in value or guys who are playing okay and are scoring some points and seem like a source of some points in those rounds six through 12 range rounds where you have to hit on guys. If you're going to win that resurrection tournament, we were very much on players that we had drafted this fall who have lost some value. And it was exciting to think about what they can do going forward. And then there's some kind of mix players like a Garrett Wilson, where you get some really exciting play, then you get some mild disappointment. That's a game where if we were going to do a couple more hours, it would be interesting. I'm hoping that the Packers are not successful in killing the total play volume in this one. Want to see Romeo Dobbs score. Want to see Garrett Wilson score. Want to see Elijah Moore get going. But I, I took that as a real positive for not only you know how fun those drafts were, but the composition of the teams that we have. Even though the injuries feel to me like they're worse than they've usually been, and a lot of the early game injuries have caused problems because, I mean, you only get so many starters each week and you only get so many weeks to the season. You can't afford to take a lot of two, three zeros. Even with the injury landscape, those teams are very well built for the bye week stretch. I just think the next two thirds of the season is going to be an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Flip side of, of you know some of those guys. I mean, again, we're we're biased. The listeners can probably hear this and think, well, yeah, of course you still wanted to draft the guys that did well and the, and the guys that didn't do well at cheaper prices because you liked them all. But I mean, Clyde Edwards Alaire, for example, going a lot higher. Is that a guy that you really want to be buying into at a really high price when he looks like a pretty clear touchdown only type of player? You know, Christian Kirk was top ten, top ten wide receiver right now. Uh, is that a guy that you think is going to finish in the top 10? I mean, I don't. <laughs> so, I mean, there. I guess he's top 10 in uh, in standard scoring, not in PPR. But anyway, not a guy that I think is going to continue to be that good. We, we, we've seen some guys run hot so far. We're always going to be wrong on a lot of guys, Sean. But things are never the same going forward as they were in the past. That's what we know about the NFL. Chaos is the rule. Here's to week six, turning it around. Exactly. I always have to lean on the analysis, lean on the upside, lean on the breakout potential of players who have specific profiles that lend themselves in that direction. We also do have a huge game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. We hope the Cowboys will not be able to limit the explosiveness in this game. And we hope the Eagles will not go run heavy. A lot of enthusiasm for Devontae Smith and AJ Brown. Can't take another down AJ Brown week here, but then we'll wrap it up for today. I'm excited for you. Have a blast at the Seattle Mariners baseball game. All of the listeners were rooting for you all in week six. This looks like one of the best weeks on the NFL schedule. Have a lot of fun. We'll be back with you middle of next week. And until then, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. You've heard so much of the cool advanced stats that Ben has been giving you not only today, but as we did our drafts this week. Sign up for Stealing Lines. You can get some of that gambling info in. We'll see if the Chiefs are able to beat expectation on the betting side this weekend. Join us over at Rotoviz. The guys are doing some really, really cool stuff. I mentioned the passing game matchup Raider that you can find on the site. Beyond the simpler numbers I was giving today, you can go into some crazy detail there. And Dave Cabin has the wide receiver cornerback matchup article out for you this week as well. 
if you want to get a little bit off your subscription, use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. Jump in there on those YouTube comments and tell us which players we should have drafted. If you want to check out those resurrection drafts, even though that tournament has closed, I think it's interesting to think through you know, which players you want. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, these guys are going to bounce back or, you know, I trade for this player. But if you're drafting and you have to make that decision and you're trying to put together a team to win tens of thousands of dollars, then you find out very quickly who you actually do want. And so that exercise was a lot of fun. We'll see you guys over there and we'll see you guys next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.